Our Father, we're thankful to you for so many things this morning. Our world is uh, really just setting itself on fire right now. So many people who used to even seem to think logically are now just falling into the category of Romans 1, being turned over to their own depraved minds. And so our gatherings as the body of Christ are all the more precious to us, Lord. We gather under under the banner of the cross. We gather under the loyalty to the Word of God and the God of the Word. We gather in love for one another to encourage one another and spur one another on to good deeds. And I pray that our time this morning, here in this hour, Lord, would simply serve to embolden our hearts to sing your praises with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to hear the word of God and to inculcate it into our lives as if there is no tomorrow, for there may not be. Lord, I pray that this Lord's Day is is just a sweet savor to us, Lord, that is a benefit to us and glorifying to you. I pray you would bless these moments we have here together right now, that they would be an honor to you and that that perhaps we might be more bold with our presentation of the Word of God as a result. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. So here we are, final lesson of flying the 747. And if you've just shown up and you've never even been on a hang glider, I'm sorry about that. This is actually the, the, the first of two lessons, and I'll probably take three total unless we just kind of fly through this. And what I'm doing, and I, I noticed this slide uh, harkens back to yesteryear, talking points for tonight, uh, insert talking points for this morning. Um, so this is, this is everything I'm going to do <laughs> right here, because I, I want you to kind of just listen and you can take all the notes you want. Um, And I want to talk about why would you ever think about uh, putting a Bible lesson together? Now, a lot of you were at the ladies, you were at the women's retreat, and a lot of you men at our our fellowship event. And so we we talked about this some. But I think maybe the main argument against this that I've heard is, well, very few people uh, have the gift of teaching. Agreed. Uh, James 3 1 says that, that uh, let not many of you become teachers. Agreed because of the, uh, the accountability we have um, to the body of Christ and to the Lord. Um, but we're all to be in the category of 2 Timothy 2 2. Oh, we should put the microphone in there and just see what's going on. <laughs> uh, all in the category of 2 Timothy 2 2, where there's four generations of people uh, uh, giving the Word of God. The ones that taught us, and the ones that we are teaching, and the ones that the ones we teach teach, um, if I said that right. So, at some level, everyone should be putting some level of Bible lesson together. Uh, just at the very least, if you have a conversation with with uh, an unbeliever and they say, "Well, can you explain salvation to me?" Yes, you can do that in two or three minutes. But how much better would it be to say, "Hey, let's get together two or three times and let me walk through some Bible passages with you." And if you can do so in an organized fashion, um, that's much more uh, effective. But I also think it's important for you to feel like you have an outlet for your study. 
for you to feel like that um, you're studying not just for your own benefit, which of course is, is an absolutely glorious eternal benefit, but that somebody else is going to benefit from your study as well. Um, I, I meet with a group of pastors on a regular basis. Uh, I've talked to many, many pastors over the years, and, and our ministry here is such now that other churches are kind of relying on us for some help and direction at times. And one of the things that pastors tell me all the time, if I ask the question, what's, what, what's your biggest challenge in the church? The biggest challenge very frequently is that he trusts only three people to teach the Bible accurately. Me, myself, and I. Because, and, and to a certain degree, that's his fault because he hasn't trained anybody. But a, a guy going into a new situation, he can't expect that in a year or two he's going to have um, some seriously qualified teachers. And you would think, well, that's kind of his job. He's supposed to be the teacher. Yes, that, that is. But he can't teach first and second grade Sunday school while he's preaching. Um, and you would be amazed the heresy that gets taught to children um, even while the pastor of the church is preaching orthodoxy. Uh, so we don't want that disconnect. We don't want um, me in the pulpit saying here's why David and Goliath is really about the Davidic covenant and in first and second grade Sunday school you can slay your Goliaths and it's, there's this disconnect between them so we want to raise up capable teachers for our children for youth, for adults for small groups, even just for your family and by the way, uh, ladies, I think it is a great idea for you to study the Bible and present what you have learned to your husbands. Not to lead them, but to, but to have an outlet for them and a little bit of a challenge as well. Um, I think about Priscilla who had the courage to pull aside Apollos, a glorious preacher of the word, and, said, and, and told him, you got everything right except Jesus. And explain things more fully to him. So I, that's, a, that's a glorious outlet. Uh, we've had countless times in our home where children and my wife and myself will present the Bible um, to the family. And that's a, that's a sweet time. And I'll say this again. Uh, despite all the media we have access to, nothing is as powerful in changing the heart and life of a, of a person as an in-person presentation of the Word of God. Nothing will uh, substitute for that. Uh, so many churches have, have tried uh, experiments with off-site campuses and remote campuses and all of that where everybody shows up and watches a screen. It just doesn't, it just doesn't do it. It doesn't do the trick. That's, that's just selfishness. That's just a local church saying that we're building a brand, not building the church. Does that make sense? If, uh, if there is such a need 10 miles from here, if people can't drive 10 miles to come to church and we have to plant a church there, then, then we're going to plant a church. We're also going to send a shepherd um, because nothing is as powerful as in-person teaching. And that has always been that way. It always will be that way. God has not updated the Bible to include an accompanying video series. Um, God doesn't have a YouTube channel. He doesn't have a Twitter account. He has not updated his methods because they were perfect from the get-go. And that is a person who has studied the Word of God presenting it to others to their faces. That will always be the most powerful way that the Holy Spirit radically transforms hearts. And, and I know we use media ministry and it has its uses, uh, but it never substitutes for what we're doing right here and right now. Um, there is such a glorious accountability here and there is an ability, hopefully, uh, of a speaker to captivate a listener. 
Uh, I was listening to a sermon on the way here this morning. You know what I did when I drove in the driveway? Pause. You can't do that to me. I mean, you could walk out, I suppose, but you can't pause me. You could throw a shoe at me. I'm going to duck because I'm going to keep preaching. So, I, I just, I can't say this enough. I pray that every one of you has some opportunity to say, could I, could I take 15 minutes and show you something I learned in the Bible? What a glorious thing that is to do. So, I'm going to just start with, and, and now we, we've talked about the glorious concept. Now we're going to get down into the weeds a little bit. The elements of an effective Bible lesson. And I've just, uh, I, I've made a list here. Structure, or singular purpose rather. Um, sorry, the list isn't on there. So I'm going to slow down. <laughs> we are now on the point, elements of an effective Bible lesson. This is why uh, Jay Street is going to help revamp BTI, right Jay? Um, so let's do the elements. And this is, you can just treat it like a checklist. You know, I, I, you've all had the experience of being in school and having to write something and you stare at a sheet of paper or a screen or whatever medium you're using depending on what generation you're in and, and nothing's there. Well, this is just gives you a checklist. So here's a checklist. Elements of an effective Bible lesson. A singular purpose and a main idea. A main idea. <clears throat> I... When I was in seminary, it was fun to... I, I had an unusual advantage. When I went to seminary, I'd already been preaching for about 15 years. Don't do things the way I did. But So I got to go to the preaching lab, and I was I was a little bit uh, the the uh, uh, peanut gallery, kind of making fun of younger guys. And what would be fun is to watch the professor ask a simple question after a young man preached a sermon. He would say, what was your sermon about? And he would say, well, first, and he's with his big, no, 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 no. What was your sermon about? Can you do it in one sentence? And when he couldn't do it, then he, then he would say, why, why are you expecting me to know what it's about when you don't even know what it's about? You, you tried to cover 18 different things in one message. Now, yes, it can have lots of different elements. But if you're teaching a Bible lesson, the first thing that makes this so much simpler for you is, what's my main idea? What's the one thing I'm trying to accomplish? It's another element. An introduction. Why is an introduction important? Because it connects you to your listeners, and I'm, I'm going to um, I'm going to go into this a little bit more later. Now, relationships can help you with introductions. I've been at Grace for over ten years now, and because there's a trust level with us, I don't have to win your heart every single Sunday, and I'm thankful for that. I, I can open the Bible and say point number one. And you would be listening, but that's because you've been listening for a long, long time. But introductions help you. They help give you a, um, a, a give your listeners a reason to listen. Observations. That's an important part of the Bible lesson. Showing what the text says. I, I think one of the things that's so encouraging to me is when some of you say, I'm learning how to study the Bible by listening to your sermons. And the reason that may be the case is because uh, we make observations of the text. And that's what Bible study is, and we've gone through that in detail here. Interpretation. You can't just make observations. That's, that's nice. I, I could teach a lesson, 15 things you ought to know about Romans 12.1, and that's fine. But we interpret it. We explain the text in this context. Uh, you explain the reasons for your interpretation. Application. And I could include in there implication as well. 
application might be, and you hear it frequently here. Here are three takeaways from this. Here's something you need to do before the end of, end of business, Monday night, or something you need to do tomorrow or, or the next day or whatever. Um, implication is the Holy Spirit working in your heart and in your life through the, through the taught Word of God. And that's, a, that's an encouragement to you. You can be teaching three seven-year-olds, and the Word of God does its work. There are implications um, that if you taught a simple lesson on how church members are to obey their elders, a seven-year-old can go, hmm, I bet that means I need to obey my mom. They can make implications, and the, the Holy Spirit helps with that. And illustrations. I know illustrations are, are in our Bible church circles are, are often uh, looked down on, but the fact is, everybody loves them. And the second fact is, Jesus used them all over the place. And uh, Paul used them, and Peter used them. They're, they are the way we're built. Uh, a lot of our Bible is illustration. I mean, the whole Old Testament is narrative, essentially. And that, that's one giant living illustration of the plan of God through Israel. So illustration is helpful, and, and especially with, with children. If you're teaching children, what a glorious thing. I love teaching children. I don't have the opportunity to do it anymore. But I absolutely love teaching children because I feel like if I can't help a seven-year-old understand the Word of God, who am I to say I can help you understand the Word of God? Uh, one of the most glorious experiences I ever had was teaching Genesis 1 to a group of second graders. And I, I did that uh, for almost a year. And that was, that was just glorious. And you could, you could go through and ask them, how many days did it take God to make the earth? Six. How many hours in a day? 24. And in that context, we do the back and forth. And that, and that was fun. But illustrations are so powerful because you remember them forever. Um, all of you have, you've, you've been to either women's retreat or uh, the men's fellowship event. And you've memorized this verse in an older version. We use the LSB now. But you remember, the Lord is my, what? Shepherd. You will never forget that. And it says, it says a thousand different things to you. Illustrations, incredibly powerful. And I'll go into the incredibly powerful ones and the waste of time ones as well. And then the conclusion I, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I'm discouraged when I listen to a Bible lesson that ends like this. Well, we're done for today. I, I don't want to hear that. I'd like the, you know, don't crash the plane, land it. There's a, there's a difference. And I know in our context, my conclusion here is usually, oh, we're out of time. And I understand that. But uh, we, we all know this is a classroom environment. So those are just um, some elements of an effective Bible lesson. A singular purpose, main idea, introduction, observations, interpretation, application, illustration, and conclusion. So another talking point, let me talk to you about structure. Why is structure important? And, and to be very, very honest with you, this is a, this is a change for me in the past uh, 20 years. When I first started preaching, I was of the ilk that I just want to talk to people and structure doesn't matter. And I began reading about that and studying and realized all the sermons I love to listen to have structure to them. Uh, they don't just ramble on uh, all over the place. So um, why is structure important? Well, first of all, it helps the listener organize data in the mind. It helps you have some pegs to hang things on. And, and it's also uh, imperative that the structure m- makes your brain engage. That you're not just trying to follow some sort of, uh, some sort of 
winding path that you don't really know where it's going. And I think I mentioned this uh, a while back, and I know we're using PowerPoint right now, but uh, Harvard just came out with a big study that proves that people actually retain more information when they hear a presentation without PowerPoint than with it, um, which I loved because people have been telling me for years, why don't you use PowerPoint when you preach? Because this is not an academic presentation. The preached word is the preached word, and it is meant for your mind to engage. And if you need you know, a cartoon to engage, then you're not engaged. So that's just uh, kind of my own personal feel. A structure also helps create a feel of direction and, and purpose. Everybody wants, when they get in the car, they want to know where they're going. What do your children ask when they're little? Where are we going? And what do they also ask? Are we there yet? Wouldn't it be nice to know how close to being there yet we are in, 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 a, in a Bible lesson? It helps the listener pace himself to stay attentive. I would rather tell you I have 11 points I'm going to make and take an hour to do it than just take an hour and after 55 minutes have you going, when on earth is this guy going to stop? You need a, you need a way to, to pace yourself. It also gives the speaker the opportunity to meaningfully organize information rather than just dump a lot of information that isn't connected. A structure makes you, as the Bible lesson teacher, have that singular purpose, main idea, and some structure, whether loose or tight, that supports that main idea and helps, helps uh, make that argument. Now let me give you some basic structures. These always work. And then you can get creative from there. Um, if you're teaching fourth graders, uh, you probably don't need to try an inductive uh, Bible study where you make the final point at the end and they had to follow you all the way. Use basic structures, and that, that's totally fine. Um, here's, <clears throat> here's a very easy, basic Bible lesson structure. An introduction. Say what you're going to do. Do it. And a conclusion. If that's all you ever do, say uh, introduction, say what you're going to do, do it, and conclude, that's a terrific structure that will work a thousand times in a row. Here's another uh, sample structure. Introduction. Give your main idea. Have some sub-points of your main idea. Application and conclusion. Uh, all you're doing is taking the elements of, a, of an effective Bible lesson, making sure they're all in there in organized fashion. And so you can, you know, if you've taken ninth grade English, you know how to make an outline. So make an outline and you can make decisions. Am I going to have um, some applications at the end of each subpoint, or am I going to do them all at the end? Or am I going to vary it? Am I going to do uh, application all at the beginning so you know why you're about to get this information? I'm, are you going to do application all at the end so that you know how to apply the information you just got? Um, there really isn't a, an exact right way. But just have some sort of organizational pegs that a listener's mind can hang their information, hang the information on. So um, I, I think that's important for little kids. It's important for adults as well. Um, and I like talking about teaching kids, so I'm going to take rabbit trail number one here. Um, how many of you, anybody here grow up in a more uh, liberal or traditional tradition like United Methodism or any tradition that does children's sermons in the service. Anybody grow up with that? 
Very few. All right. Well, praise the Lord, I guess. Um, but one of the things I always know this because Sylvia and I were started off in that tradition. We we went to United Methodist Church uh, when we were dating because she grew up United Methodist. I couldn't care less, but I wanted to date her, so I went where she went. And so we would. And my wife is a professional teacher, and this would drive us crazy because they'd have the little children's sermon that was so filled with metaphors. First of all, children don't do metaphors. They're very black and white. You you tell a kid, you see this apple? You see how red it is? That's like our lives. And the kid's going, I'm hungry. I want to eat the apple. That's all they're thinking about. And there's, there, there's no structure. Our lives are like the apple. On the outside, they may appear shiny and glossy, but on the inside, they're... they're and, and at that point, the kid's going, well, look, when's the Kool-Aid coming? That's all I want to know is when the snack's coming. And, and it's amazing to me that those who are teaching the very simplest among us are not using any sort of structure, any sort of directness. And I think all of us need that. Uh, adults need it. Um, here's a good exercise to do. Not everybody's a note taker uh, when you listen to sermons and I try to be careful not to be legalistic and say that you're a a true Christian if you take notes and you're a little less of a Christian if you don't. Everybody learns differently and I get that. Um, When I go to the Shepherds Conference, I almost never take notes on sermons and guys around me are going like crazy. and like, this is what I do all week long. I just want to sit and receive the word of God. That being said, if you're not a note taker, sometime... Listen to a few sermons and just take a half page of notes and see if you can figure out what the structure is. What's the main idea? What, what are the, the pegs that the, these ideas are being hung on? I think it's a good exercise. It'll help you be a better teacher. So we have a list here. The importance of the spoken lesson, the elements of an effective Bible lesson, structure. Now we're going to get a little technical. I want to talk to you about a homiletical proposition. This is, a, this is a technical term, but I think it, it's similar to the main idea. But this is where you get the difference between preaching and teaching. And you might say, I, I'm not called to be a preacher. If you have children, you are. If you have a spouse, you are. You are called to say, here's what the Word of God says, and, I, and I'm applying it to you. Uh, that's, so what is the difference between teaching and preaching? Teaching is the explanation of a text or a theological concept uh, something that's foundational to developing maturity. I've used this illustration before, but uh, I preached in a context in which, uh, for a couple of years, in which the people I was preaching to had no foundation. They would ask me questions like, who is Abraham? And uh, who is Noah? Uh, the, the ark, I mean, I thought that was like what is, you know, the ark is really cool because all the animals were floating on it. And, you, you know, well, there's dead people all around it too and that sort of thing. Because they had no foundation. This is one of the reasons that children's ministry is so important in the church to me because children's ministry builds a foundation so that when they're hearing the word of God as a teenager and as an adult, that foundation is now uh, something that a, a quality sermon can sit upon. So teaching is explaining the text. There, there are broad parameters for teaching and it's, it's a wonderful thing and, and uh, the tradition of Sunday school, which we have continued in our generation, um, that takes advantage of the element of teaching that's just giving you information. But preaching, and some of you might be uncomfortable with that term because you don't feel like you're a preacher, Uh, forget the term for a minute. Let me just define it for you. It is the passionate explanation of a text for a specific identified purpose 
with the expectation of application and action. Uh, Let me boil that down. Passion, explanation, application. That you are you are aiming this. Uh, if teaching is a shotgun, then preaching is a sniper's rifle. It has a specific intended target. It has a purpose. What does the homiletical proposition have to do with that? The homiletical proposition is what takes the speaker, takes you as the teacher beyond just a, a data dump. Here's 97 things you should know about this passage, which is fine. That's teaching. But that takes you now into the realm of interest, into the realm of purpose, into the realm of being very, very pointed. Here's 97 things you need to know about this passage and the one main reason I'm telling you them. That's, that's um, the, the difference there. Now, our text that we've been using as a, an example, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, um, which uh, talks about... Uh, le- let all uh, bitterness and anger and clamor and slander uh, and malice be put away from you, or be put away from you, along with all malice and so forth. We've gone through examples of how to kind of put that together. Here are some example homiletic propositions, homiletical propositions, um, and, and it tells you what the whole thing is about. Nine ways to stop hurting the church. Doesn't that get your attention more than nine things you should know about Ephesians 4, 31, 32? That's the difference. Nine ways to stop hurting the church. You could do this. Nine signs of a serious Christian. That works as well. This is my favorite. Changing spiritual clothes. What to put on and what to put off. You could get even more specific. You could uh, speak to, if you're speaking to leaders, keys to being a leader people trust. And you're using Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 for a very, very pointed purpose. Transforming your relationships in nine steps. You know what I've discovered? Um, In my 26 years or so in the ministry, you can't teach on relationships enough. Because everyone has problems with them. So you, there's always a hunger for that information. So, uh, And then you could get, you get super specific uh, in a challenging sense. It's time to repent. Nine ways to finally take your walk with Christ seriously. That's a bit of the flavor of what I'm preaching later on this morning. So the homiletical proposition says, here's all the stuff that I've gathered, all the information I've gathered... How am I going to package this? When you go to a, a, a restaurant that you like, uh, and you, don't you enjoy it that the chef actually prepares the food? That they don't bring a cart full of ingredients out to you and say, "Here you go," you know, throw the garlic in your eye, and and well, look, you know, I gave you everything you needed. Aren't you thankful when they actually put it all together? That's what you're doing. You're taking these ingredients um, that you've learned and you've put and you put it together. And sometimes you'll find I don't need as much of this one. I need more of this one. And if you look at it in that fashion, um, then it'll transform really the way you you teach. Uh, let me take rabbit trail number two before we talk about introductions. There may be some of you here, and probably maybe maybe most of you, that are saying, "I don't even have a context in which to teach anybody. Why am I sitting here? Uh, why are we talking about this?" I believe with all of my heart in the concept of God rewarding faithfulness. And so, as you're preparing a Bible lesson, my encouragement to you is to ask the Lord, "Would you give me an opportunity to present this to someone?" Um, and I I have 
been stunned to see how faithful God is. I'm not even surprised anymore when I pray prayers like that. Lord, here's a preparation I've made. Would you now please bless that? I'm not even surprised anymore when the Lord provides that. So um, do that by faith. And do that in the sense of uh, trusting the Lord. And believe me, it brings him pleasure when he sees people digging into his word out of love for him. And you'll, you'll find an opportunity to present it. And I, can I say this? Uh, that text, whatever you're studying, is going to burn so deeply in your heart. You'll be looking for opportunities. You'll be, you'll be asking around. You, you might be desperate enough to just pull somebody aside after Sunday evening service and say, hey, could we have coffee on Wednesday? And I'd like to teach you a Bible lesson because no one else will listen. And I know you will. And I'm thankful for that. I don't think there's any member of our church that would say no to that. So have faith. And begin your, your study and see what, um, see what the Lord does through that. Okay, I know this is, I know this is just uh, mundane stuff, but uh, aren't you happy when people you're listening to have actually studied how to study a lesson and how to, how to teach it? I'm, I'm always happy for that. Um, <clears throat> introductions. What does an introduction do? And let me just talk about this for, for a little bit here. First of all, it prepares the heart and mind of the, of the listener. That's important. There are, there are all kinds of ways to introduce a concept or a text, but uh, what they all have in common is preparation. That there is a, a sense of easing into this process. The epistles of Paul have terrific introductions. They're, they're personal. They're, uh, they, they, they are doctrinal. But they prepare the heart and mind of the listener. A a while back, a year or two ago, uh, in our Sunday morning Bible reading, I read every introduction to all the epistles in the New Testament. Because they really prepare your heart and mind to receive the Word of God. So, uh, another reason, another purpose for an introduction. All of us have a natural aversion to abruptness. We just, we don't like that. And our brains aren't built that way. Um, In education, uh, educators talk about a concept uh, that they would call schema. And the the schema concept for educators is, let me get your brain going in this area, in this topic, so that when we actually talk about what I want to talk about, you're already there. Your, Your synapses are firing in the right direction. So we don't deal with abruptness that well. An introduction also answers the question, uh, why should I listen to you? I have a little set of notes that I keep um, that are my reminders for my own Bible lesson preparation. And up near the top is just three letters. RTL, question mark, reason to listen. What, what reason am I giving to you that you should actually stick around here? You could, you, know, you could have been playing golf. You could have been in your garden. Why, why are you here? What reason have I given you um, to listen? An introduction also lets the listener know what need you're going to address, what itch you're going to scratch in their lives. Now, if you're a scared, inexperienced, mediocre speaker or teacher... And that's probably most of you in this room, and that's okay. You want to know how to get way ahead of the game? Identify a need, a problem, or a hurt that you're going to address, and you'll be thought a genius immediately. If your introduction is simply asking the question, how many of you here have ever had your feelings hurt deeply by someone you love the most? You've got everybody's attention because they believe you're going to address that. 
Now, if your next sentence is, we're not going to talk about that, I just thought I'd ask, <laughs> then that's, that doesn't work. But if you identify a need, a problem, or a hurt, you, you've, got, you've got them in, in the palm of your hand. Another purpose. A Bible passage needs an introduction. It needs the context set. I, I think it's a shame to teach about a Bible verse without telling you what's all around it and what, what, where it's set uh, in Scripture. You also may need to close the familiarity gap of the text to get listeners up to speed. If we just drop into uh, Leviticus 19.28, for example, that basically, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm paraphrasing, says that you shall not have any tattoos. We drop into that, uh, about half of you in this room need some context pretty quick, right? So context is important. You need to close the familiarity gap. And, and we close that by, by saying that I preached a whole sermon on Leviticus 19.28, if only because I wanted to. Um, but... Uh, in in the days of Moses, if you marked your body, it told you it told everyone that you were loyal to a different God other than Yahweh. Um, and so the bigger principle there is: Do you need to mark your body to demonstrate loyalty to God, to our God? No, not really. If you want to, that's fine. They end up looking really goofy when you're older. Um, but God doesn't call for external marks; He calls for internal marks of loyalty, right? So that's the context. You have to set that up, and an introduction helps you with that. Um, it also helps create trust and favorable regard if this is needed. In our context here, I have the just the the beloved privilege of I can start anywhere. I can ramble all over the place, and most of you have faith that we'll get on the road eventually. And you're okay with that. When I'm speaking to a group that I've never spoken to before, the introduction is the most important thing. The first minute is huge. Because that, they're all going, who is this guy and where's my pastor? You know, that's what they're asking. So those are some purposes of an introduction. If you're teaching a 20-minute lesson, you don't need a 10-minute introduction. You need a 30-second introduction. Um, but that, that may take some time to craft because you're, you're gathering attention. You're gathering um, the, the need to hear. So what is a useful introduction? What, what might you think about? Well, uh, just some different ideas here. A useful introduction directs the mind to a specific thought process and topic. Uh, I talked about this a second ago with schema. Uh, Just going along with getting a certain part of your mind, a certain part of your heart, a certain topic being where where your mind is. Uh, and you know how this is, and I've, I've been preaching long enough to know that, uh, that people who start listening to a sermon, um, they're usually not engaged immediately, or sometimes they're not engaged immediately. You know, you may, you may have a, a, a husband who's still whispering to you, I, you know, I, I need more space, can you scoot over? You may have a kid who just said, I have to go to the bathroom, and all kinds of reasons that you have to get your mind engaged, and so the listener needs help with that. So you direct to a specific thought process or topic. Uh, similarly, it funnels the thoughts in a specific direction. If I said, this morning I'm going to talk about love. Okay, great. Which of the 10 million Bible verses on love are we going to choose from? However, if I said, this morning I'm going to talk about love, specifically how to love that one person that you wish you never had to see again. Okay, now you're there, right? Now you've been funneled to one specific topic. 
It also gets the listener engaged with all the previous information that's already stored away in the mind. One of the reasons, again, that I love uh, the teaching aspect of the ministry and I love to have as many teachers in the church as possible is that then as the, as the preacher on Sunday morning and Sunday night, I can ask you to draw from a wealth of information. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be briefly talking about the rapture. I don't have to teach on the rapture of the church every time I talk about it because you're drawing on this information that you already have. Another useful element might be using the word picture or a story that helps open the mind. I, w- we are built for stories. We're built for word pictures. We're, we're made that way by God. And so why wouldn't we take advantage of that? A useful introduction gives reasons why you should continue to listen. and doesn't ever apologize for what you're about to say. Uh, this is in the realm of conclusion, but um, you know what? I always think that when somebody can't... Can, you, you ever, you ever uh, been listening to a Bible lesson or a sermon and you realize, oh no, he can't land the plane. He's just circling and he just won't land. You know what that tells me? He's not confident in the flight he's just taken. He feels like he needs to, No, just land it. But in an introduction, if you give reasons why you should listen, then... That expresses confidence, and you should teach with confidence. I mean, this is the word of God. What you know? I don't think you should you should teach and say here's here's three things that I hope are true about this passage. Well, I don't want to hear that. I want to know that they're true. And then an introduction leads you naturally to your homiletical proposition or your main idea, and leads you to your structure. So let me get even more specific. If you're crafting an introduction, um, by the way. Rabbit Trail number three, I used to teach uh, the spoken communication class at the Master's University, and um, I decided most of, the, most of the kids there are never going to stand up and be public speakers. So the assignments we did, I made all the young men give a speech um, on why, like as if it's to a young woman, why you should marry me. Um, and, and so we did very practical speeches like that. I tell you what, you never saw more young men pay attention to how to do an introduction. <laughs> they were like taking notes. Uh, and one semester, I had literally the entire master's baseball team uh, was, was in there. And they're all taking notes because they're all single and all hopeless. And so they wanted to know how. So pay attention. Here's some ingredients to a useful introduction. Use a related Bible text. That's very interesting. That if I'm going to teach uh, from Matthew chapter 5, let me show you how Matthew chapter 19 gets us back to Matthew 5. That, that grabs your interest. Uh, there's a specific occasion for speaking. Uh, I don't always, historically, for example, on Mother's Day, uh, Mother's Day in our church has seemed to always hit when there's a national or international crisis of some sort. I've preached on abortion. I've preached on disobeying the government. I've preached on all kinds of things on Mother's Day. But on occasion, hopefully this year will be one of them, the occasion presents itself. And so you use the occasion. And that's, that's a great thing to do. Uh, personal experience. You want to be judicious about that. Nobody wants to listen to a preacher that just tells stories about himself every week and he's the hero every time. I, I don't want to hear that. I only want to hear it about myself. But personal experience can be helpful, especially if it's something that grabs attention. Um, I'll give you an example. With little kids, you could ask the question, have you ever been unable to breathe, realize that there are 50 people around you laughing at you and then you faint as you hear them laughing. 
Will that grab your attention? That grabs a little kid's attention. That actually happened to me in the seventh grade. Um, and so that's a story that will grab somebody's attention. If you really want to know, it's because I wasn't looking and I ran full speed into a metal pole and um, happened to be in front of every friend I've ever had in this life. So uh, use a personal experience, or former friend, I guess, after that. <laughs> Historical setting. Now, can I say this? Historical setting is important. I've never found it useful to say, let me give you the historical setting. In this church, we can do that because you know what's coming. You know that there's going to be some content coming. But if you take what's happening in the Bible and bring it to life, you have to do the historical setting, and that's, that's super important. Um, some would say that maybe the biggest challenge to that is when you're teaching a, a passage in the epistles. But the epistles... Paul's letters and Peter's letters and John's letters, they all have history behind them. They have a historical setting. Uh, First Peter, written to the dispersed Jewish Christians. Wow! What church is he writing to? Anywhere he can find them. And the historical setting begins to grab your interest. Um, a life situation. Life situations are, are great for grabbing interest. Uh, what's the problem? What's the need you're identifying? We've already talked about that. How about a theological issue? Theological issues such as, here's what you ought to believe about this, here's what you must not believe and why. Um, a humorous incident. Why is humor important? And, and, you, and people might say, well, that's an invention of our, our time. It's not. There's humor all over the Bible. The Apostle Paul said, uh, even if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, that's laughter worthy. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, he told the church at Galatia, all of you who think that, uh, that circumcision saves you, you ought to just go ahead and finish the job. If that's what you think. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing what Paul said. That's hilarious and serious all at once. You go, that's in the Bible? It is. Why is humor important? Because humor takes you from this attitude as a listener to, hey, I, I kind of want to hear you. Now, it is not in and of itself effective and life-changing. It is a bridge only. If you hear a pastor who thinks that his own funny stories are going to change your life, run. Because they won't. A powerful or striking statement. Something you've read. Something that you've come up with through your study. Uh, what would be an example of a powerful or striking statement? The Lord is my shepherd. Does not apply to very many people. That gets your attention. And now that gives you an opening to begin to teach through that. And then maybe relate it to your conclusion. Uh, we're built for what, uh, what scholars call a chiastic structure, where something at the end relates to something at the beginning. We're built for that. Uh, we're absolutely made that way. That's the way our minds work. And so if you can come full circle to a, a problem you explain and your conclusion has the solution to that problem and everything in between proves the solution, then you've done a good job on your introduction. So I, I'm just throwing a bunch of ideas at you here. Um, and in the spirit of teaching, we're done. So uh, next time we're going to do conclusions, and that's not a good one right there. But uh, if, if you're going to teach first graders, you need an introduction. If you're going to teach class of adults, you need an introduction. So... In fact, we have a couple of minutes. Um, I know we're talking about presentation, but it is one of my favorite topics. Does anybody have any questions? Like.